crossroads and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. Hey everyone. Rachel Blumenthal is one of those people who has made moves in her career in pretty much any way you can think of. She's worked in the fashion industry in a ton of different ways, but today she's the founder and CEO of a company called Rockets of Awesome, which delivers clothing to parents who are struggling to keep up with how fast their kids can outgrow the stuff they wear. Let's get into it. I'm Kit Bodner, and this is The Grow Show. Early in your career, you were at Yves Saint Laurent, I guess now Saint Laurent, uh, do, doing PR, and that was kind of the the very first step in your career. But I thought what was interesting is you transitioned from that into like a jewelry business. How did your career kind of get started? What did that look like, and how did you know when to move on there? Good question. So I grew up on Cape Cod, and I grew up around a lot of professionals, doctors and lawyers, and mm-hmm. didn't really know anything about roles in fashion or sort of business opportunities and went to college, was an economics and political science double major. And when I came out of school, I thought, well, every other economics major is supposed to be going to finance, so I should go into finance. And <laughs> after I received a job offer, I quickly realized that I had no idea what I what I was actually in for and decided to instead go to New York and find a job in something I was super passionate in. So I had a friend that worked at Christian Dior at the time, and she sent me an Mm. email for a sample sale, and she CC'd every single fashion publicist in New York on this email, and I thought, (laughs) this is my jackpot, and so I BCC'd every single one, and I sent them my resume with a cover letter and told them why they should hire me, and oddly enough, a lot of them responded, and I got a number of job interviews, so I was fortunate enough to land at YSL and really sort of learn the inner working of working with magazine editors and celebrity stylists. And when I was working there, I was surrounded by a ton of creativity, but my role specifically wasn't that creative and I really needed an outlet. So I went to the bead stores on 6th Avenue in New York City and decided to buy materials and make a piece of jewelry. And it ended up being a ring that I made handmade um, with my dad's dental tools that he had given me, old dental (laughs) tools. I made a ring and I was wearing it one day at work and it was very arts and craftsy, very organic-y because Mm -hmm. I don't know how to, I didn't know how to solder or make real jewelry. And I wore it (laughs) and a magazine editor from Lucky Magazine, who I was friends with, decided to feature me as an up and coming designer. And I thought that was all part of sort of like the BS world of fashion and and magazines. And being from that world, I just sort of went along with it and thought that it was funny. And about a month later after the Lucky Feature, Daily Candy called me and said that they were going to feature my website and please make sure that it doesn't crash. And 
I didn't have the heart to tell them that I didn't have a website, but I quickly figured out how to get one. Um, so this was in 2003, and um, I called somebody that I hadn't seen since I was 13 that I heard, quote unquote, like built websites. And he threw up a landing page with an email address and a phone number um, and a photo, and that was my website. Daily Candy featured me the next day, and we had endless buyers and editors and customers that wanted this brand that really did not exist. It was me in my living room with a box of beads and some gold wire. <laughs> and I started doing trunk shows at Henry Vendel and ShopBop picked me up as one of their first contemporary jewelry brands and slowly started to build what I could tell was going to be some version of a potential business. And mm -hmm. I, you know, sort of had the built-in comfort of having some existing orders and accounts already. ShopBop was pretty well known at that point and was starting to get more interest. And so I decided to leave YSL and set up shop in my living room and figure out how to make it work. And I figured I would go back in six months when it didn't work. And fortunately, I never went back. <laughs> so, okay, so you didn't have to go back to your, to your job at St. Laurent. So, like, what happens then? Like, yeah, so... How, 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 do you, how do you make it work when it's that early, you know? You have to be obsessively passionate about what you're doing and dedicated and let nothing stand in your path. And I ultimately figured out how to build a supply chain and manage and hire talent and manage a sales force. And ultimately we were in about 500 stores worldwide and we did private label for American Eagle, Target, and J. Crew, and built the business to be a very reputable brand in, in the contemporary fashion space. We were in probably every fashion magazine over the course of eight years, and we were on you know TV shows and on celebrities. And, and ultimately, after eight years, I had an opportunity to license the brand, and it had hit a point where I felt like I'd really reached a learning curve. And for me, I constantly want to be challenged, being surrounded by smarter people than myself and really learning. And I felt like I wasn't in that place anymore. And so I decided to license the brand. Did you ever wake up one day and like, how did I get here? Like, is this actually what I wanted to be doing? Yeah, I definitely did not plan for it. And I think <laughs> that probably every three to six months, I would say to my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, when am I supposed to get a real job? Um, because I felt like, you know, there was nobody there every day telling me what to do or how well I was doing. Um, so it certainly was not part of the path, but I didn't, I didn't really know what the path was. And so I feel like I figured it out by trial and error. When you decided to move on, though, I think the interesting thing is something that we all struggle with is like, when is the time to move on? When's the time to do the new thing? You talked a little bit about you didn't feel like you were learning. Like, what were the other cues that it felt like it was time to do something new? I spent a lot of time thinking about what I was passionate about and what drove me every day. And what I realized was that I was passionate about building things and solving problems. But if somebody said to me, starting tomorrow, you'll never design jewelry ever again. I realized that I didn't care. And that to me was the moment where I said, okay, you won't, you know, what, whether this works out or not, you won't regret this decision. That is a good type of question, I think, for anybody <laughs> to ask themselves. It's a good, it's a good barometer. So I guess the, the logical thing to talk about next is like, all right, so what'd you do next? Like, what was the thing you were going to care about? Good question. So I was very sort of immersed in 
the tech startup scene at the time, um, mm-hmm. peripherally, because my husband is one of the founders of Warby Parker, and I worked very closely with him and his co-founders on how they thought about building the brand and sort of the early infancy of that product mm-hmm. and spent a lot of time sort of asking questions and wanting to understand the the tech space and the, and the startup community in New York and going to conferences and going to hear, you know, but when they would speak on a panel, I would go listen to them. And I was very curious by, by the community. And I also felt like I was finally learning again. And so I was really excited by that. And so what I would do is I would sit at a day a desk every day and try to come up with really bad ideas for a new business. I realized that after building and running my own business for eight years, I could never go and work for somebody else in a sort of traditional, you know, scenario. And so I'd sit at a desk every day and come up with all these ideas that I thought were solving problems, but ultimately they weren't personal pain points that I had. And it was a little bit of a stretch for me to really understand the customer mindset and really get excited about it and ultimately believe it was something that was going to be meaningful. But as I would do that, I would talk to friends and people that I would talk to about these ideas, about this personal pain point that I just experienced in my life, which was that we had just had a baby and it blew my mind that I had to make about 150 buying decisions in a very short period of time. And there wasn't a reliable resource that was like the cliff notes for what you need for your baby. And it's so hard, right? I have a 15 month old son and it's, it's like, crazy. It's really it's, crazy it's, out there. It's too many choices. And, and, and everybody in the, there's one marketing message. It's like, if you, you buy this thing or your child will die, yes. you know, basically. Yes. So I received probably 40 Excel spreadsheets from all my type A crazy friends who (laughs) said, you know, my sippy cup is better than your sippy cup. And I was like, this is crazy. There has to be a reputable resource that just cuts to it, gives you the straight answer and is much more efficient. Why do we have to reinvent the wheel if it already exists? And so I ultimately launched a business called Cricket Circle, which was curated product recommendations and content for new parents. And we only recommended the three best products in every category. And we provided very relatable content for why you would decide one stroller over another. So it wasn't helpful when they would tell you this stroller weighs 30 pounds. You wanted to know, can I carry it up a flight of stairs? Can I pull it up, you know, carry it into the back of a trunk and so forth. And so we built a community around those trusted recommendations. How do you build something that, how do you build that reputation up? You know, I think one thing that strikes me as interesting is that you build a a jewelry brand out out of your apartment and then you decide to take on another significant challenge of like, when you're a parent, you're making buying decisions. Those are high stake decisions from the cost and the, the, the safety and security of your child. How do you go about building that reputation, that brand in early days to actually be credible? So I think people underestimate the power and the value of brand. And a lot of people think that brand is pretty packaging or a logo on the outside of a box. But brand is a multidimensional living human being that you are growing and building. And it's very similar to meeting a new friend and getting to know them. And and as you get to know them over years, you sort of uncover those layers of their personality. That is what brand is. And Mm -hmm. brand gives the customer confidence. It builds loyalty. It empowers them to want to identify with your brand and your products and associate who they are aligned with you. 
believe it is the greatest value that a business will build. And so for us, brand was represented by a visual identity, which was photography that you really hadn't seen in baby and, and, and parent brands. The brands had been very dated and, and sort of down market and antiquated. And I feel like the market and the brands had sort of forgotten that the consumer was this very savvy, intelligent demanding consumer. And just because she's pregnant now or had a kid doesn't mean that she's not anymore. And so we built a brand both in the visual identity as well as the voice, how we spoke to the customer. We spoke to them like they were our best friend. We just told it to them straight. If something was ugly, we said it was ugly, but they should buy it anyway because it was the only one that worked. Um, So we were just deadly honest with them and that really built the trust very quickly. So the next logical question here is like, how did you get users? How did you get people to actually come and, and experience the brand, read the site, do, do all of those things? We leveraged every last person that we had known, um, <laughs> our personal networks, uh, which was starting to accrue, but over time we built up a really incredible support network of celebrities and influencers who either we you know, I would meet at an event or meet through a friend of a friend. And what parents know is that there's no greater sort of unifying topic or um, time in one's life than having children. And so, you know, when you meet a celebrity, they don't really want to talk about their next movie or a photo shoot. They want to talk about real life and their kids and was able to just build those relationships that help support the brand. We also worked with a PR agency that was very strategic about how we told our story, how we how we established ourselves and really differentiate ourselves in the market and ensured that we were consistently in the right publications every season. And then it was, you know, building out our social following and word of mouth. Um, you know, word of mouth really goes a long way when moms are such a tremendously viral segment and they really build their social cred knowing what, what is new first and wanting to share it with their friends. So that was a great advantage for us. We've talked about, you've, you've actually talked about PR a few times here. And I think public relations is something that a lot of people think is important. Uh, a lot of people value but have a hard time executing, whether it be executing themselves, finding the right partner or agency to execute for them. Like, what makes great public relations? I mean, you've seen it from all sides, from the publicist side to the to the brand side. Like, how do you actually do it well? So I think it varies by business that you're in. Some businesses lend themselves more to you know certain types of PR than others do, but. Ultimately, what you're looking for when you work with a PR agency or a communication specialist is really defining why you exist in the world and what is different about you and why you are solving a problem for the customer and trying to, as simplistically as possible and as authentically and uniquely as possible, communicate that to the consumer. And that communication can be in visuals, whether it's photos or copy or editorial content or interviews, but really having a very consistent message for how you want to be known in your category. And and then it's about building relationships and having relationships with editors and not always expecting something from them, but, you know, helping them to understand what is in the market and what's out there and why they might care about you someday. And then hopefully at some point they do, but, you know, a lot of PR is, is building perception and, 
you know, whether it's unfortunately or fortunately, perception does become reality. And it's important to have that presence and to build a point of view and, um, you know, become an expert in your field. I think that's awesome advice. So, so you were getting Cricket Circle up and running off the ground. Then what? What's next? Yeah, so we were getting Cricket Circle off the ground. We had some great following and engagement, and, and people were very excited. They actually said that we were solving their problems, which was music to our ears. And we were then sort of in the process of navigating our monetization strategy. How are we going to make money? And we were <laughs> testing a number of different channels, and we started testing a model similar to Rockets of Awesome at Cricket Circle, which was that we had a relationship with the consumer. We knew how old their children were, when they were due to have a baby. We knew their preferences and their lifestyle. And with that information, we could send them a delivery at the beginning of each milestone that they were going to have with their child to be able to fulfill our mission of simplifying their life and and being that end-to-end solution. So not only were we recommending the products and giving them the solutions, but we were also putting those products in their home and taking that step out of the process for them. And so we did a small test of that and it performed very well. But what we realized with that was that there were endless logistical challenges when you were dealing with third-party products and they all were different weights and dimensions. So as we navigated, okay, well, we're on to something with how people want to be served, but what product do we want to serve them with? We started doing surveys and talking to our customers. And what we identified was that the car seat and stroller dilemma was it felt really monumental at the time, but it really was momentary in mm-hmm. the time la- you know, the, the time range that you have of life with your child. And what we realized was that after those decisions, the customer had confidence to make other buying decisions much easier. And ongoing frustration for them was that their kids were growing every day and they were outgrowing their clothes and they were staining them or ripping holes when the kids got older. And it was too much effort and too much digging and too much work to be replacing these wardrobes every season. And there was a real opportunity for us to serve the customer with a similar business model, but serving their apparel needs. So that is where Rockets of Awesome came to be. It wasn't like you needed to move on from something. It was like, it was just the next next extension of the work that you were doing. Exactly. So it really became sort of the natural extension of what we were building at Cricket Circle. Ultimately, we decided to roll the editorial content of Cricket Circle into Rockets of Awesome and cease doing the product recommendations because they were really two different businesses. And in order to do the product recommendations, you have to make sure that you're testing the products and that you're again, being reliable to the customer. Um, So we decided to really evolve the solution for parents, for parents coming out of those baby years. All right. So, so a subscription, uh, what you, so what you have now with Rockets of Awesome, my understanding is kind of a subscription clothing service you know, that's that's fed by really awesome content. That's probably, you're attracting people with content and then getting them sign up for this subscription service. How does that actually work? Like the logistics of that seem kind of painful. Like what, did, what have you learned as going, like going through that whole process? 
So Rockets of Awesome is a personal shopping service that really lives and breathes to be an end-to-end solution and service for parents. What that means is that we want to be able to deliver the right product into your home at the right time for your kids and do it in a completely risk-free manner. So we do deliver a regular shipment into our customers' homes at the beginning of every season, but there's no membership fee, so it doesn't cost them anything, and there's no shipping fees. So it is completely risk-free. And um, the reason that we decided to deliver into their home each season, so four times a year, was because we wanted to time it with the existing shopping behavior that customers had, which was that when I come to summer, everything from last summer doesn't fit my kids anymore, and I'm going to have to go and buy everything new. It's not like Mm -hmm. you and I that says, oh, I want a new pair of jeans. It's literally everything. So (laughs) we wanted to be able to do that big bulk shopping for that customer at the beginning of the season. Um, So our customers onboard onto our website, they create a profile and they tell us every last bit of picky details about their kids, which we love. And with that information, we personally assort a box of 12 items that we send to their home at the beginning of the season. And they decide what they keep, what they want to keep and they return the rest and they only pay for what they keep. What is really special about the service is we then unlock a personalized e-commerce experience for the customer. So that is a place where beyond the box, they are able to buy more of what they want or more of what they need whenever they need it. So there are more colors and sizes of what came in their box, but there's Mm -hmm. also uh, the rest of our assortment that we believe is right for their profile that uh, they are able to shop a la carte whenever they want. Do you guys make those clothes or do you source them? Like where's the actual clothes come from? We make them. So everything, all of our clothes are designed and produced by us. And we also do some accessories and we also do some third party accessories. But the clothes are our own Rockets of Awesome brand. We design into multiple style profiles so that we can make sure that we get the assortment just right for every customer. So no two boxes are the same. And, um, you know, we're designing into for preppy and trendy and a full activewear line and an essentials collection. And it really enables us to be able to deliver on the preferences that our customers have. So you've, you've founded several businesses now. There are a lot of people listening who are who are on the precipice of of probably starting their first company. What what advice do you have for them? What do you have? What advice around being a founder? First and foremost, make sure that you are obsessed and eight thousand percent dedicated to whatever your vision is, because if you're not, then you're never going to dedicate the time necessary to really be able to make it successful and whatever successful means to you. The second would be that I think a lot of people will tell founders, hey, you know, if you have an idea, you should really keep it to yourself or keep it confidential and and don't share it with that many people because someone might take your idea if it's a good one. Um, Mm -hmm. And frankly, I don't think there are any new ideas in this world, um, (laughs) maybe outside of like SpaceX or something. And so I really think that it's the execution of an idea and there's significantly greater value that you can gain from sharing your idea with as many people and as diverse a group of people as possible to get feedback and perspective because ultimately when you're a founder you're you end up operating in a bubble and talking to yourself and so you really need friends and advisors and and just you know smart people to help you think through your idea 
you're you're all in on Rockets of Awesome now, but like, is there any idea that's brewing in your head? Like, what's 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 the future look like for you? I realized building Rockets um, and coming out of Cricket Circle and reflecting on my life that I love efficiency. And as a parent, <laughs> I am desperate for any life hack or moment of greater efficiency. And um, so now I can validate all the years of reading Cliff Notes instead of the real book in middle school and high school. Um, totally but, fine. But um, I'm just, I'm super passionate about it. I feel like the rest of my life is going to be dedicated to creating efficiencies for consumers. And Today and five years and 10 years down the road, I can't imagine that being anywhere else, but for this consumer and for this brand, I'm so, so proud of this brand that our team has built and what it represents and how it serves customers and the delivery to your home at the beginning of the season and the personalized e-commerce experience. For us, those are just the beginning of a very, very multi-dimensional dynamic retail experience that we're building for the consumer. All right. So now we got to know what, like, what's a life hack or two that you, you employ? Oh, You're so, so passionate so about so many them. of them. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm a new parent. I can use some gems. <laughs> Send them my way. Okay. So you should set up a reoccurring delivery of your toilet paper, your paper towels, all of your sort of household items. You should never, ever have to go online and order those again. I've done that. It is a life changer. Um, if for fun, you could get the Amazon dash buttons, which are also amazing. <laughs> yes. You just have to put them in high places so your kids don't run around and press the button because <laughs> we've gotten vats of soap delivered to our house because they thought it was funny. Um, That's amazing. We have a reoccurring fresh direct delivery every week. So I just hit reorder and the same stuff comes. And my husband and my kids are probably sick of the you know, the, the 20 things that we eat, but that is, that's my life hack <laughs> for women. A great life hack is to have a small makeup pouch in your bag that you put all of your stuff in that you need. So whether it's your pen or your phone charger or your lipstick or your wallet or whatever it is, and it enables you to just pull the pouch out and move it between bags. So if you're changing purses every day for work or you have a different bag that you use on the weekends, it probably saves you 30 minutes because you don't have to you don't have to organize everything again. That's awesome. Uh, before before we let you go, I think one of the things we've we've talked about today is like it's transitioning. It's moving, you know, from a role to a startup or from a startup to another startup. What advice do you have for people who are in a transition that need to that need to move from one one role to the other. How, how do you do that well? How do you do that gracefully? What's that look like? It definitely depends on the personality and sort of your propensity for risk. But I do think that, and there have been studies that say that some of the most successful entrepreneurs have actually mitigated risk in the early days of you know deciding that they were going to launch a business or make a transition. And so I do think that any area that you can mitigate risk while you are taking risk um, not only gives you the confidence to you know make the transition, but also also enables you the flexibility if the transition doesn't go exactly as you had planned. I think that is very good advice. Uh, Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's been really interesting, uh, fascinating to learn more about your story. Uh, thanks for taking a few minutes to, to, to speak with us, even though you're exceptionally busy. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. 
If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, pretty much any place you find podcasts. And if you want to support the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes. It really makes a huge difference. Thanks.